going to read from Matthew chapter 13. And uh, in Matthew chapter 13 is the home to one of the most famous parables in the Bible. We, we know it as the parable of the sower. And you immediately um, conjure up images of, of that parable in your mind. And, and the reading that I want to, uh, to look at is um, a little bit later in the passage, beginning at verse 31. And so I invite you to, uh, to open the Bibles in the, in, uh, in the church pews and that you would read along with, um, with us, Matthew chapter 13, page 969, beginning at verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. And Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin in all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he had found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked them. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. This much that we'll read from God's word, but I'll be referring to the passage and reading sections of it as we go along, so I invite you to to keep your Bibles open that you can find those passages as we talk about them. Five and a half years ago, Kathy and I decided that we should take our new children uh, with us to Liberia. And we wanted to connect uh, Matthew and our 
uh, newly adopted. I don't like the term son-in-law and daughter-in-law, so when my kids got married, I said, you're now mine. I'm adopting you, and I'm taking you into my family, and I pledge you my love and my support, and, uh, and you are now ours. And, uh, and so we, um, our time in Liberia was very significant to the formation of who we are as a family, and, and uh, Laura and Michael were both born there. And so we wanted to introduce Matthew and Jenna to, uh, to our family history. And some of you have done that with your family members, and you've taken them back to places of your family history. So five and a half years ago, we went back, and we, uh, we visited with two of the survivors from the 14-year Civil War that caused us to flee the country. Ani, the mother, worked in our home. Her children played with Laura and Michael. Kathy never really wanted house help, but I told her, you know, women in our culture have things called vacuum cleaners. They have washing machines. They have good refrigerators that they just plug in. Uh, they don't have to go out and cook on charcoal and, uh, and heat their water to boil their diapers and things of that nature. So we're going to have help in our home. And Ani was one of the women that, uh, that worked with us. And... Uh, and what a better way um, there is, I, I haven't discovered it, to disciple uh, a woman of the church than to bring her into your home and teach her how to care for a family, and, and uh, especially in an area where there's a, a high degree of infant mortality, and show her how we raise children and what nutrition really means. And so Kathy discipled Ani. And as we were, were talking with Ani, we discerned that the war had been very hard on her. She had seen her two young sons conscripted into guerrilla warfare, one of the sons that Laura and Michael played with. She had left Greenville, Liberia, to escape rebel soldiers and endure the raging sea in a dugout canoe made from one single tree dug out to, uh, to hold about five people. And they put 12 into each canoe, and 30 of them left Greenville, and four of them arrived at Buchanan two days later. Ani suffered the abuses of war that we could only read about and things that are not appropriate to speak to a congregation about. And in the tears of the horror of our friend and our sister, Ani said to us, you know, it's really okay. It is okay that in all of this uh, trauma, I learned that Jesus Christ is the one thing that can never, ever be taken away from you. That when God gives us a gift of Jesus, he places that gift so deep and so securely in our heart that there is nothing that mankind can do to take the gift of Christ away. Jesus Christ has become my wonder. He has become my treasure. The story of Ani illustrates the principles laid out to us in Matthew chapter 13, that she she has discovered the treasure that is beyond all cost. She has discovered the greatest value that any person could hold in their life. And then Rebecca, Ani's daughter, who had suffered many of the same experiences, interrupted her mother, and she said to me, Pastor Perry, can you tell me why American preachers preach so poorly? And I suppose the dumbfounded look on my face caused her to continue. And she said, we hear the American preachers on our radio stations, and we listen to them looking for comfort because we have suffered so much. 
and all we find is they're preaching about living successful, happy lives. They preach about improving marriages. They preach about extending the blessings that God has for them. And they even find prayers of the Bible to claim for their own wealth and for their own gain and for their own property. They tell us that obedience to God brings blessings. And Rebecca began to cry and she said, We did not know that we were more disobedient before God than American people. And she cut to the chase. Don't you Americans know that Jesus is the most important message that you could preach? Don't you know that Jesus is the only hope of the Bible and that Jesus is the only thing that can never be taken away from your life? Why don't American preachers preach that which lasts? Why don't American preachers preach today the things that are of eternity? Why do you care so much about the way you live your present life and do not prepare yourselves and your congregations for life everlasting with Jesus. Well, I was cut to the heart. It brought me to a point of examination. And I had thought that I had always been something of a preacher of Christ. And yet, Rebecca forced me to evaluate and go back over old sermons. And you look at uh, the wisdom of God in the 16th century, the time that we call the Protestant Reformation, a time very important to us in the Christian Reformed Church. We talk about five solas. We talk about grace alone. We talk about faith alone. We talk about scripture alone. We talk about the glory of God alone. But really in the center of all of that is talking about Christ alone. Because without Christ, there would, there would be no, no gift to give. There would be no faith to appropriate that gift. There would be no living for the glory of God, and it really comes to the heart of Christ alone. And in, in, so God did that in our history through the Reformation. God did that in the Liberian church history through a time of great suffering and even persecution and the despicable nature of human hearts. But both of those Historic illustrations from suffering and from reformation point us really to the heart of Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus teaches the crowds and his disciples, and where the Holy Spirit guides us through um, the the things of Matthew that we marvel at Christ alone, and we end up anchored and seated upon the very preaching of Christ alone. I want to, uh, to look with you at three points. The first of them, the wonder of the kingdom. The second, the preaching of the kingdom. And the third, the family structure behind the teaching of the kingdom. So first of all, the wonder of the kingdom. It's always difficult to drop into the middle of a passage, and, and that's what I forced you to do this morning. We, we have parachuted down into the middle of Matthew chapter 13, and verses 51 to 52 are our drop zone. That's where we really want to land or we want to anchor ourselves. But, but we should take a moment, if you will, and just think about gliding down in your parachute and all of the things that you see laid out in front of us. And we would look at this passage and we would see that there are two basic parts to the text. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that there is a great crowd that is gathered and Jesus is teaching them by the sea. And then verse 36, Jesus left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him privately. 
Second, we could say as we float in our parachutes with the canopy above us and we look down at the drop zone, that the first part of the chapter is about a public sermon. It's about public preaching. And the second part of the passage is about the added explanation. It's about that elaboration of what's going on, and it focuses on what Jesus wants to say to the disciples who become the ones installed to the first tier of ministry in the church. And third, as we get a little closer to the the drop zone, we see the roads and the tree lines becoming more evident. We see the fences, and we see the contours of the land, and we would see that it's the contours of the kingdom that are laid in front of us as we near ourselves to that drop zone. And in that regard, we consider that landscape and the contours of the kingdom. And Jesus tells us six times that the kingdom of heaven is like something. And look at verses 44 and 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found or discovers accidentally. And once he sees it, he covers it up so that he can go and he can liquidate all of his assets, that he can sell everything that he has to go and buy that particular field to acquire that specific treasure. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. This merchant has spent his or her life's vocation looking for pearls of great value. And on finding one particular pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two times we just heard those words, the kingdom of heaven is like. And you see that again in verses 31, 33, 44, 45, 47, 52. But what is it about these parables in 44 and 46 that that point out what is so important about the kingdom? What possible treasure could Jesus have in mind that would be so surprising that it would be worth everything that a man has? What could possibly be so valuable that it would cause an expert always on the prowl, always on the search, traveling the world over perhaps, to sell everything in search of that one pearl? What would so possess him to buy that one pearl? What could possibly hold such value or such significance? And, of course, the answer and the focal point of these parables is the center point of Jesus the Christ. It is the gospel of Christ that becomes that value beyond all values. The great pearl in the illustration is the God-created pursuit for peace in Christ or that relationship with God in Christ. Jesus is the work of the kingdom. He is the wonder of the kingdom. He is the focus of life, and he is our all and we are under his care. That's the kingdom value of this text, and that's the standard for the elect of God who are rightly connected to him in Jesus Christ. And that prepares us for those other two verses that I want to read with you. And this is really our second point, the preaching of the kingdom. Jesus says to the disciples, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. He said to them, through this, every scribe or every teacher has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure old and new or fresh and ancient. And you notice that there are three points in this question. First of all, Jesus asks them, have you understood all these things? He is saying to them, 
Have you figured out that in all of this that I'm laying out to you, in all this kingdom, that there is something in this that I want you to discern? And they say to him, yes. That the point is not their answer, which we may or may not debate whether they really did understand, but the point is to see that, that they're, they're, these things are in plural form. All of these things. He's talking about a lot of different things in the kingdom. The kingdom may be surprising. It may even be a cultural joke, like the planting of a mustard seed in a land that is just filled with weeds of mustard that that grow up as big as trees. Why would anyone plant mustard seed in the nation of Israel? No one would. It's a cultural joke. Or the kingdom may be hidden. It may be hidden like the yeast in a batch of dough, and it's going to cause its influence from within. Even the kingdom may have this mixture of wheat and weeds. It may have this mixture of fish that are good and bad. It may be something that needs to be sorted out at the end. It's all of these kinds of things. But then Jesus says to them, I want you to think about something else. And it's that second point that comes in verse 52. And he says to them, through this, now Jesus becomes singular. All of these things have one point. All of these things have one focal point. Through this one thing, through this, through this one focal point of the kingdom that is now singular, there's one funnel directs everything in that place. And through this one thing, every teacher of the word has a treasury from which to draw. Through this one single point, there is everything that every teacher of the word needs to continually teach that which is ancient and that which is fresh. That he's he's bringing them to this huge aspect of figuring out who he is. Now, Jesus calls them, in his language, he calls them a scribe. And you know, Jesus is not often fond of the scribes. He's quite hard on the scribes. In fact, Matthew points out a couple of places where he really doesn't have much time for the scribes and their teachings. But each time, if we look closely, why does he pick on the scribes? He picks on the scribes because they do not properly teach the scriptures. He picks on the scribes because they make their teaching about themselves and about the appropriation for the living of their lives. And he doesn't make the teaching about the anointed of God, his Christ, and the promises of God that will be fulfilled in the Christ. And so he he brings back to say, you misunderstand the scriptures, and you misunderstand the promises of God. But his whole point is to say, I want you disciples to know. He's teaching them in the inner part of the house. And he says, I want you to know, every, every teacher of the law, is therefore prepared. Every teacher of the word should understand the treasury available to him in this one single point. Through this, through this one point that is the the, the funnel, the distillation of all the things of the kingdom, through this one point is the treasury for teaching the fresh and the ancient. He is like the head of a house who continually brings out of his treasure that which is new and old or fresh or ancient. 
And so we've already agreed that the value of the kingdom is Jesus the Christ, the king of the kingdom, and the text affirms that for us and it forces us to see the focus. That Jesus speaks brilliantly and Matthew records it brilliantly. And they become like traffic cones in the middle of the highway, forcing us into one single lane. And in that one lane, already highlighted, the treasure of Jesus stands out. And we begin to realize that there is one pursuit worth all effort and worth all of our preaching and teaching. And Jesus says that there is one living thing that is the resource for every teacher of the law to act like a man, literally, who is the head of the house, who continually brings out of the treasure the fresh and the ancient. That is that the preaching that Jesus requires in his church is the ministry that Matthew is is installed to perform in this congregation. And it's one that Dr. Gregg has reaffirmed to in, in the renewal of the vows. You heard the humility of your pastor placing himself alongside Matthew to say, we together are in this. And you heard him say to you, we together are before you. For you to hold us accountable for you to help direct us in the moving of the inner workings of the things of God. And what God has done is God in his wisdom, God has prepared for each one of us, you and me together, he has given us a new heart. And he has written something on that new heart. And so I ask you to ponder, what would be the thing that God would write on your new heart? What would God write on your heart that he would cause to reverberate through the lips of your pastors. Wouldn't he write on his heart maybe something really simple, like, I love you in Jesus? And wouldn't the gospel of Christ make your heart reverberate more than anything that you could hear? And what a gift that you have been given, to have been given two pastors, and I haven't met your youth pastor, But I'm even going to assume on the basis of what I have seen so far and what I have picked up in conversations with Pastor Greg and what I know about about Pastor Matthew, I'm going to assume that you have already built into your entire ministry an honoring of the name of Jesus Christ. When your pastor gave the greeting before this worship service, he said that he wanted us to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. And he pointed out that this was a worship service for the blessings of Christ. And he greeted those of you that are visiting here today in the name of Jesus Christ so that you would know the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And it's, a, it's already an honoring of Christ. But sometimes we as pastors fall into a trap. Sometimes we fall into the pressure of our culture. We fall into the pressure of our teaching. And sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking that we need to be relevant And that we need to say something that is going to be encouraging in the here and now. That's true in the hospital room. That's true in a lot of other places. But the relevance in the worship service and the relevance in the ministry that has integrity is the connection of Jesus Christ to the living of our lives. And that's what Jesus is laying out in front to say, the kingdom is all of these things. It might be a surprise, it might be a joke, it it might be something we don't see, it might be the good and bad, but it all comes down to there's one point. We need to know the king of the kingdom, because without that king, we don't have any kingdom, and we don't have any quality of life within the kingdom. So he's forcing us to think of these blessings, 
all put together as one provision. That there is one point discerned from all the teaching. There is one point specifically for the treasury of preaching and teaching. One point as the treasury of Christian ministry. One point that at the minimum declares that Jesus is our all and worth all that we have. Even if necessary to sell everything to gain that relationship with God and Jesus Christ. One point that shows Jesus is the revealed story about God's reconciliation in Christ before the foundation of the world. One point that reinterprets creation as the platform for God's salvation. How else do we understand Ephesians 1 verse 4, that he has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world? He knew the salvation in Christ before he created, that creation becomes the very platform for Christ and for salvation. One point that shows that every prophecy is yes in Christ, 2 Corinthians 1.20. One point that we are obviously missing if we are not the people of Jesus Christ. Thus all the lessons of the kingdom come down to one empowering point. And the scriptures do a lot of that. Paul talks about the people of God in Romans as presenting one living sacrifice. He would say to you, by by the words of Romans 12, that what we are doing today in this worship service and in, in the offering that we've taken and the living of our lives is that we are not presenting a couple of hundred sacrifices. We are together presenting one living sacrifice because we are united in Christ. And Christ becomes our avenue and our activity. He speaks of one fruit of the Spirit. One fruit of the Spirit, the blessings of the one Spirit in Galatians 5 with nine different facets. It's like one gemstone with nine different edges that glow and glisten and shine. Ezekiel specifies that all of God's people will have one heart and one Spirit. Jeremiah talks about God writing something on that new heart that he places inside of his people instead of the heart of stone. Surely the message of Jesus is that one thing that becomes the living ministry and the living word that can never, ever be taken away. Finally, and very briefly, there is the teaching of the kingdom. And look at verse 35 with me. Jesus says all this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And the prophet that Jesus is speaking about is the psalmist in Psalm 78, verse 2. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus quotes verse 2, and, and there's a rule in Bible reading, and I'm sure your, your pastors have taught you this, and it's a rule that goes like this. You cite the verse and you reference the context. That, that when, the, when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, it's usually quoting the whole passage and not just that isolated verse. There are a couple of places, but very, very rare. It's usually the whole storyline that's being picked up. For example, if I would say to you now, Ani's story, or if I would say to you, Rebecca's encouragement, I don't have to retell the story. You've already heard it. It immediately comes to your mind. And so for Jesus to say, as the prophet said, and he quotes Psalm 2, 78-2, he's referencing that whole story, which goes like this. And listen to how common that is to what we've just read. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. I will open my mouth in parables. That's exactly what's being played out in Matthew chapter 13. 
that Jesus is teaching his people and he's speaking in parables. And then he says in verse 4 of Psalm 78, tell them among your children. Command the fathers to teach their children. Jesus is applying the principle of Psalm 78 to his disciples in Matthew chapter 13. And he even uses the language to say that those who are teachers are to be like a man who is the head or the master of the household. And he is to teach the new and the ancient, the fresh and the ancient. He applies this principle that the pastors are to be like fathers teaching children, encouraging in those very specific, important things of life. And as parents, what do we highlight? What do we want to pass on? What do we make sure we focus on in the raising of our children? And Jesus lays that exact charge in front of the pastors. And he says, this is your charge. You as, you as teachers of the law, through this, through this one thing of all of these kingdom parables, through this, teachers of the law, you have the treasury. And now you take that treasury and you become like a man who is the head of the household and you bring those blessings to your children. Jesus is the king who has become the resource for the teaching of the children. Jesus is the one who has given household authority. Jesus is the treasury. Jesus is always both fresh and ancient. He is the God from eternity past to eternity future. He is the God who gave his all to be our Savior. And why would he not expect us to respond to him in giving our all to gain that relationship with him? Jesus is the heart of the scriptures. He is always relevant to life. And you look at these steps in all of the things of the parables that he becomes the heart message that can never, ever be taken away. There are times, though, that the following of Jesus is like a lifelong pursuit. There are times when the following of Jesus is part of the daily work. It's interesting that Jesus speaks to disciples who are primarily fishermen. And they were probably in the home of a fisherman when he spoke with them in Capernaum at this time. And there they are where he says, sometimes the kingdom is just like going about your daily work and letting God sort it out in the end. But what you need to know in the mundane of carrying out your daily work is you need to know the treasury of Jesus Christ in that relationship. You need to know it's under the authority of Jesus Christ and the blessings of Jesus Christ that we do our daily work and then we let God sort the things out at the end in his time and in his way. And Jesus is always that single point and the treasury for preaching and teaching for every head of household to all the family members under his care. We heed that as parents. We heed that as officers of the Church of Jesus Christ. And God places before your feet with hearts eagerly prepared by the Holy Spirit, pastors to lead you as family head, elders to guide you and to encourage and support the pastors in the ministry of Jesus Christ 
He leads you in that kingdom calling that I was speaking of, that you would allow an outsider to come in, this most significant of worship services in your congregational life. That you would say, we want to be a church that's more than us. We want to be part of this kingdom. We want to be part of this activity, whatever God is doing in our community and in the whole greater Chicago region. And how he is going to bring all of that through the blessings of Jesus Christ. And then you can say with confidence to your friends and to your family members, when you come with me to my church, you will experience the teaching of the treasury that is always fresh, even though it's ancient, because we are the community of Jesus Christ. We are growing in the blessings of Jesus Christ. We are continually pursuing the wonders of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. We shape our Bible studies as the church of Jesus Christ. We shape our discussions as the the people of Jesus Christ. Our evangelistic efforts are to declare the praises of the God who reached out to us in Jesus Christ. And we become a place of confidence in Christ. And we know that it's a treasury that will never be exhausted. It's a treasury that continues to, to just exude and to pour out. And there's a blessing where... When God fills with his spirit, he doesn't just drip it in like a leaky faucet. He pours in, and then he wants us to continually be filled in that. But it's only that glory of Christ that is the treasure that fills us. It continues to fill us until we spill when we bump. And people experience the very wonders of God in Christ through us. I've never heard... Pastor Greg preach. I have no idea what I've just laid on his feet. I've heard Matthew preach. I know his approach. I know how he studies things. And I know that Pastor Greg and the elders of this church would not bring someone like Pastor Matthew in without that resonating with their inner core. And so there is a team There is a team that has been established with your elders and your pastors that is for the glory of God that upholds the very treasury of Jesus Christ. And as a congregation, be confident and be expectant and rejoice in the very gift that God has given to you in these men. Be grateful to God. Delight in his gifts. And when that time comes, when you need to lovingly say to an elder, Just encourage them to give us a little fresh dose of Christ. Know that it'll be received well. It'll be brought back to that point, to that treasury of Jesus Christ, because that's already the character and the quality of the men that God's given you. And so be pleased as his people to rejoice in the wonders of his grace and to grow in all of his blessings. And may you experience his grace and his peace. And remember that he himself has promised, and I am with you always, even to the very end of the age.